Uh, I do appreciate Wanda also. I'm not sure. Wanda's probably, yep, she's in the back. Um, but I appreciate Wanda lighting our candle. I asked Wanda to light our peace candle this week because some, like, like some of you who work in an environment where Christmas is not peaceful <laughs> for you, um, that is the environment that many of you I know work in, and I know that's the environment that Wanda is working in, and really is incumbent upon us when we walk into a retail environment to make sure that we are our nicest that we can possibly be, that we are our most patient that we can possibly be, and that we are the most encouraging because you may be the only person who walked into that store that day with that type of mindset. Um, so I, it was just important, I think, for us to look at what is peace at this time of year, and there's really two things I want to share with you. Now, I've got a little bit of a problem um, because I have an hour and a half sermon prepared for you, and I know you all won't last. Uh, Paul could preach until people fell asleep and fell out of windows, but he also could go and pray over them and bring them back from the dead. I have never done that, and I don't really want to try that, so I'm going to move through this as quickly as I can. Now, here's what I want to do with peace. Peace is, it has to be understood in a couple of different ways, and so what I want to give you this morning is a, a survey or an overview of what Scripture says about this crucial topic of peace in the life of a follower of Jesus. Because if we don't see what Scripture says, then we may not understand what it means. And God has been so good to give us more than enough for us to understand what does it mean to have peace within this world. And for you and I, we live in a world that is not peaceful. And yet this is the prophecy that was given through Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 9, it says this about the birth of Jesus. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Now, to be honest... Verses like this, for a long time, I had a lot of issue with reading through them. And you may have similar issues when you read through some of these passages, that Jesus came as the Prince of Peace, and he would usher in an age of peace of which there would be no end. And yet I have a TV, and I have Fox News and CNN and MSNBC and every other news station on my radio. And what I am bombarded with and what you are bombarded with daily is the reality that there is not peace in the world. If we understand peace, meaning there would not be conflict between people or between nations. And I came to that conclusion early on in understanding what Scripture meant about the promises that God gave and fulfilled through Jesus. And I found that if the peace that Jesus was supposed to bring meant that there would be an end of conflict between people and nations. Jesus clearly failed in his mission. Now, as a believer, you and I have to stop, and for a moment, we have to ask ourselves, does that mean that we have misunderstood? Does that mean that the Bible is wrong? Does that mean that Jesus is not who he said he was? Or does that mean that the mindset we bring to understanding the promises and gifts of God cannot be understood when we just have a quick glance over our understanding of these great promises. When I think of peace, I think of beauty pageants, right? What do we want? World peace. I mean, 
when we think of the word peace, we think there will be no Aleppo, right? When we think of the word peace, we think there's going to be no more shooting in Chattanooga. We, we hear on the radio all the time how bad Chicago is. Sometimes I think, have you been to Chattanooga? You know, we, we've got our own stuff going on here. We look at what's going on in battles and wars around the world. When we think of peace, we think that if there was just no conflict, maybe even between our relationships with each other, you and I are at peace if we're not mad at each other. And yet if that was the goal of what Jesus meant to bring us, Either we have misunderstood, or clearly he has failed. So what I want to share with you are several passages of Scripture that try to help us understand what this kind of peace is supposed to be. And it may not be initially what you thought, but it is certainly something you can experience. Luke 2.14, a part of the announcement of the birth of Jesus says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is Pleased. So in other words, there are some that experience God's peace and there are some that do not. Peace is not a universal gift to all of humanity. While we'll see it's universally offered to all of humanity, it is not universally experienced. That means you can within your life be experiencing a huge lack of peace. And what we also find as we read through Scripture is that if you're experiencing anxiety, that does not mean you do not have the peace that Christ offers. You can be at peace, and you can experience anxiety as well. If we're going to understand the peace that Jesus offered, we've got to go back, and we've got to understand the state we were in before Jesus came. So before Jesus came, everything was different in the world We know the story of creation. We've talked about it several times here because a lot of what happened from the time that sin entered the world until the time that Jesus returns, it is God systematically working to bring us back to be restored to the place where we originally were supposed to be. That is the way God has continued to work. The Messiah coming was coming so that we could be restored to relationship and a place with God that he initially intended for us. And yet we mess it up regularly. And so if we understand and we go back and we think about, well, well, where have we come from? Romans 5, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace. What does it say? With who? With God. We have peace with God in addition or and sometimes in place of. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And you read through passages like that and you begin to study through what does Scripture say about this idea of peace within my life, especially if you're a person who is not experiencing peace. We begin to understand that the peace that Jesus was bringing, this prince of peace ushering in a time of peace, that there is no end, is actually a time of peace with God, not with each other. So you see, it is absolutely possible to be at peace through the Prince of Peace and yet still be at conflict with others around you. If we were never going to be at conflict, the disciples would never have been martyred. 
If Jesus ushered in a time when there was going to be no problem between people, Jesus would not have been crucified. But the reality is that that kind of peace is not something that you and I can obtain. We cannot live in a world with world peace because humans live in the world, right? We're people. We're driven in certain ways, and we will be driven to gain power. We will be driven to gain control, and we will be driven to live better than others. And if we have to take away from some so that we can live better than others, we will. That is how humans work. And so the kind of peace that is being offered, the kind of peace that says, without Jesus, I am actually at war with God. Which is why so many people who are in that phase of their life of saying, you know, I, I, I believe something about the gospel, but I'm just not sure it's for me. That's why there's so much tension in them. If you have a person that you've reached out to and they are questioning whether they should know Jesus or whether Jesus is real, and then you find all of a sudden for strange reasons, conversation gets tense and weird, and then they don't want to talk about it anymore. The reason that happens is because they are going through a time of having to say, I am at war with God and I need to be at peace with him. We all go through this. You may not have used those words to describe it, but you and I all go through this time because you and I were at war with God. The greatest peace that you and I can find is not peace with each other, but it is peace with God. And what I want you to see in these next few minutes is that that peace with God will begin to filter out into your other relationships and your other experiences in life as well. John 16 backs up this whole concept. Verse 33 says, I have said these things to you that in me, Jesus speaking, in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now that should give you a lot of hope if you're a person who finds themselves in a lot of drama a lot of, a lot of the time. If you find yourself in drama a lot of the time, then you may be thinking, well, maybe I'm not right with God. Shouldn't have this kind of drama. Good Christians don't have this kind of drama. I've seen good Christians at church. They don't deal with stuff like this, right? Because we all let everybody know everything going on in our lives. But the truth is that a follower of Jesus who has experienced the Prince of Peace is going to still live in a world where there is tribulation. There is suffering. There is conflict. There is pain and there is hurt. And it happens all around us, and there is nothing that's going to end that save the next coming of Christ. That's why at Advent, one of the reasons that we don't just celebrate the birth of Jesus, but instead we celebrate the return that will come one day. And when that happens, all of these other things that we say, gosh, God, why is this still happening in the world? This is terrible. That's when those things go away, and the end will come. We have been justified by faith. We have peace with God. And the reality is that we needed Jesus to overcome something that you and I were powerless to overcome. Ephesians 2 says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Now, stop there for a minute. Jesus Christ is your peace. Now, when you walked in here, unless you have studied this and you've come to the same conclusion yourselves, you came in thinking peace was solely an emotion or a state of relationship with somebody else. 
But that is not what Scripture says, the kind of peace that the Prince of Peace will bring us. That's not what that peace is. There is certainly a portion of that. We will experience the feeling, the reality and relationships of peace. However, what he's saying is that peace is actually a gift from him. It is part of who Jesus is. Last week, we looked at the fruit of the Spirit, and we found that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. But do you know what else is? Peace. In other words, the kind of peace that you and I sometimes interpret Scripture to say is not the kind that we're able to navigate conversations or arguments better. But that kind of peace is something that must come only from God to those who are seeking God. So this kind of peace, it is not for everyone. If we go back to the announcement of the birth of Jesus, his peace for those with whom he is pleased. There's a difference. There's a difference in how we experience a peace. There's a, a difference in what we see within our lives. If we go on to verse 14, it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That hostility, who do you think he's talking about? That's between who? Us and God. Where he's, bringing this, he's explaining this. The hostility that we feel, that brokenness inside of us, that oh, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to deal with this. Sometimes we push that off into something else that's going on. I had a really bad day at work. But sometimes what's going on is deep within us and we feel that hostility with God. God, why are you not doing what I think you should do? God, why is this working out the way it's working out? God, why can't I have what I want? That's hostility with God. And the greatest amount of hostility that you and I deal with that we have to overcome if we're ever to know Christ, God, I know what I want to be. I just need you to make it happen. Because that goes back to us being the center of our own world. I'm in charge of my life. I'm my own God. And there are many people that believe that if they just give the true God enough credit that he will be either beholden or will at least be gracious enough to grant me my own requests. That's hostility with God. We begin to see we need peace with him, then we begin to see that it is not our place to set the terms of that peace. But instead we go to him. Verse 15 says, By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself... One new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to who? Each other? To God. Both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. See, at Christmas, there are two times of the year that people are most likely to come to church. You know this. It's Christmas and Easter. Christmas is all about the baby. We love the baby. This baby's so cute. And, you know, sometimes we'll put together Christmas dramas. And if somebody's had a baby and they're willing, it's never someone who only has one baby because they never give up their one baby. But if you're on your third or fourth, yeah, here, have them. Just give them back to us when you're done. You know, it changes when you have more than one kid. But we'll put these little cute little babies up on stage and we'll go, oh, that's so cute. But that is really not what this is about. Yeah. 
There's your, bring, bring them on up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But that's not what it's about. See, all of this was the beginning of something. This was to mark the beginning of what would become the salvation of the world, that we would be at peace with God. And when we push it down to simply, oh, it's a cute little baby in a manger. That innkeeper really, oh, he probably is in hell because he didn't give them a good room. But that's literally how people sometimes look at this story. Not that you and I were at war with God and Jesus gave himself to bring peace for those who would accept it. That is the reality that we feel. You know, when, when we read things like, you will have peace with God, but you will have tribulation in the world, we sometimes ask ourselves, maybe I should just not have peace with God and maybe I'll have a little more peace with the world because tribulation with the world doesn't sound so good. But something happens when you come to this place of recognizing, I'm tired of being at war with God. I'm tired of fighting against Him. I just I want to submit to Him, and I want Him to be my Savior. I want to follow Him. When you do that, there is something that overcomes you that is beyond words. When we look at these Christians, whether they're in the Middle East or whether they're in Pakistan or whether they're in China or whether wherever they are, in India, and they know that Accepting this peace with God could very much end their life in this world. The reason they continue to do that is because they receive something so much better. A willingness to say, if I'm, if I'm gone, I'm gone. Because there's something better. When you experience that kind of peace, it goes so far beyond anything that you can have apart from Him. The baby in the manger did not symbolize the end of conflict on earth. The coming of Jesus symbolized the end of conflict with God. We read about who Jesus is and how important he is in Colossians chapter 1. Again, I just you can get all of this stuff yourselves as you read through. I just want to pull this together so you see overall throughout Scripture we see this consistent theme. He, starting with verse 15, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Okay, so if he is the firstborn of all creation, did Jesus come into existence the day he was born on the earth. No, he's been around. This is God. When we talk about the Trinity, that there is God three in one, God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son, they've all been around this whole time. It's not like God just decided, I'm going to have a God the Son today. Okay, here you go. But instead, this is who he was, and this is what this passage is starting with. It's saying he is the image, the firstborn of all creation, For by him all things were created. Take that in. This is one of the things I love when we start digging into Scripture. God literally created through Jesus Christ. When he spoke in the void and there was the water and then the land and then the light and then the animals and the people, Jesus did all that. Our understanding of Jesus when we subject him simply to be a baby in a manger is so far beyond who he truly is. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by what? 
blood on the cross. Peace did not come by the birth of a child. Peace came with blood on the cross because that is the only thing that allows you and I to end hostility with God. He took our punishment. He took all that we were supposed to have and he took it upon himself so that you would have the opportunity to know true peace. Now we can experience this in some small ways. Deidre and I, when we're at home and things are good and we're at peace with each other, I deal with things at work and things outside of home better than if things are not good with me and Deidre. Y'all experience that? Maybe not with me and Deidre. Maybe some of you do, but you know what I'm talking about with your significant other. Whenever things are not good and we are not at peace with each other, it bleeds over into so many other parts of my life. However, when things are good... When there is peace between us, that also goes out and spills into other parts of my life. Similarly, when we are at peace with God, that spills over into our other relationships and areas of our lives. We experience it. We feel it. We know it to be true. And it's only possible because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 21 says, You who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This peace that was ushered in is so much bigger than peace between nations. And I know when I say that, there's a bit of a knot in your stomach. Because we're seeing the horrors of what happens when there's not peace between nations. How could anything be worse than that? But it can be. Jesus never intended to come to rule the world with a government system. Jesus never intended to come and to hunt down all of the people who were power-hungry and abusive to others. His goal was never to hunt them down and take them out. Never his goal. His goal was always to offer an opportunity beyond what is available in this world. But you and I, we are the ones who have to choose whether that's what we want. Peace is, is an emotion. We can feel it, but peace is really a gift from a Redeemer to his redeemed. And I can tell you that if you're in a situation right now and you're struggling, you don't like your job, you don't like the people you work with at home, things are not going well, I'm telling you this peace is a gift to you, even in spite of those things. It may not fix all those things, but you can have peace in spite of those things. This peace is not just a gift, but it does come at a cost. It comes at the cost of the life of Jesus. His blood had to be spilled. But it also comes at this cost. And this is where you and I at Christmas have an opportunity to transcend what everyone else is doing at Christmas. And they're focused on just the celebrations and the gift giving and the gift receiving. We can transcend that. And we can recognize that as Jesus gave everything for us, there's a cost for this kind of peace. And for us, that means we willingly give up living just for ourselves. That's tough. That's tough. It's great to have a preacher come up here and say, you need to die to yourself and follow Christ. 
But have you ever tried to die to yourself and follow Christ? It's tough. It's tough. Who wants to do that? Not many. There's a reason that Scripture tells us there are two rows. There is a narrow gate and there is a wide open one. And only a few will travel that narrow gate. Because dying to ourselves is not easy. And it's not fun. And it doesn't feel good. And no one's sitting around telling you, yeah, you ought to do that. Unless you're around other true followers of Jesus. Because they're the only ones saying it. Peace comes at a cost. In Matthew chapter 10, this is another one that early on in, in my faith, I was like, I don't really understand. There, there's so much conflicting information in Scripture. Matthew 10, 34 says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. That's not, there are not many people talking about this verse on Christmas, <laughs> Christ, no, the week before Christmas. I'll tell you that. But when I read verses like this, I'm like, God, okay, you, you seem a little conflicted. <laughs> You're the Prince of Peace, bringing peace on earth, but now you don't want to bring peace on earth. Well, well what do you want to do? <laughs> I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. What? I don't understand. He goes on, makes it less clear. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And all of that, what we know to be true is that we cannot live for this world and experience the greater things of God. You and I, we struggle with this every day. I have bills, you have bills. I have things I've got to take care of, you have things you have to take care of. I've got a job I've got to hold down, you've got a job you've got to hold down. We all have responsibilities in this world. We have hopes and we have dreams, we have goals. Mine is to retire, trying to get Deidre to a place where I can retire quickly. (laughs) But she's not there yet, so I'll keep working. We have goals. There's nothing wrong with having goals. But to have peace, Now, now peace requires us to change the way we prioritize our lives. And that feeling of peace that you're looking for, that you think of often at Christmas time, that many sermons this morning are talking about, many people's sermons on peace, because a lot of people follow the same pattern that we're following of Advent. Many people are talking about this feeling of peace. Well, you see, that is available as well. It is available to people. But only when we first understand that we need to be at peace with God first. But once we are at peace with God... We do have the opportunity to experience peace in the world, but there is only one way to do that. And what I have found over and over again is that peace is felt as we trust and obey God. That's when we feel peace. See, peace is it's easy to say, I feel peace because everything's working out the way I hoped it would. But how often does that happen? Everything you hoped would work out did work out. 
Peace is felt. It's experienced. It goes beyond this reality that I'm at peace with God. It, it comes to the place where I begin to feel okay in this world of tribulation. When we trust and obey God, it is the ability to relax and to set down and to say, God, your will, not mine. When we can sit and look at all the things going wrong in the world around us and say, God, you're at work. Just lead me where I need to go. When we no longer have to take on the responsibility to fix the world, but we can instead infect the world with the presence of Jesus himself. That is when we experience peace. Jesus talks about this kind of peace in John 14. He says, peace I leave with you. Now, this is a different kind of peace because we've already talked about peace with God. So he can't leave that peace with us. That peace is a change in our stature and relationship with God. Instead, he's saying, I have something to give you. I want you to have this. And it's not something that he fabricated to give us. Instead, it was a piece of himself. This is why this is a fruit of the Spirit. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Now, That's important because remember what happened before Jesus was crucified. You'll remember he asked his disciples, come pray with me, come be with me. Let's just pray together. And they couldn't stay awake. They didn't understand what he was going through. They didn't know what was about to truly happen, but Jesus knew. And it said Jesus was filled with so much anxiety that he literally sweat drops of blood. Part of his prayer during that time was, God, if there is a way to do this any other way, let's do it. But if not, I will follow your plan. So even Jesus, who has this peace, who is the embodiment of this peace, experienced anxiety. But he trusted and he obeyed and he experienced peace. He goes on to describe this. He says, not as the world gives do I give to you. In other words, the world's idea of peace, what I'm actually offering you, are not the same thing. Let not your hearts be troubled, Neither let them be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I'll no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. This is where the tribulation is that you and I experience on a regular basis. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Now then I love this. Rise, let us go from here. Which is what we would say when we experience his peace. Let us move, let us go. He goes on to give this call for us to live within this peace. In Luke 12, it says, He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, not about your body, what you will put on, for the life is more than food and the body more than clothing. If we skip down to verse 29, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried for all the nations of the world seek after these things. That's what the, how the world acts. And your father knows that you need them. Verse 31, and if, we, if you are looking for peace today, this is your answer to take with you. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. 
See, whenever we say we're going to pick up our cross and follow him, it's not that we give up living our lives for Christ. You and I continue to live our lives for Christ. What we give up is the priority of this life over Christ. Instead, we choose Christ instead of the priorities of the world. Now, the priorities of this world are strong. They, they, they draw us to have more, to be happy, to be comfortable. There's a strong pull for those things. And Jesus never said, you're going to have a lot, and you're always going to be happy, and you're never going to have problems. You certainly won't be comfortable. That's what he promises us. So it's not that we give up living our lives, but we give up the priorities of this life so that we can have Christ. That's what it means to have peace. Part of having peace with God means that yours and my sin no longer condemn us. If that sin no longer condemns us, then what that means is he's no longer holding it over us. And for some of you at this Christmas season, perhaps the way that you need to enter into your worship with him of the coming of Jesus is to simply take all these things that have been hovering over you like a cloud, remembering all the decisions that you made you wish you hadn't, and say, God, through Jesus Christ, has taken away my sin. He no longer holds it over me. We're free. It does not mean you won't sin. It does not mean that we don't have to come to each other and apologize or say we've wronged or make amends because we still do those things. However, God does not condemn us. It also means we should be at peace with other believers. This is one of the reasons that Scripture says don't be yoked to an unbeliever because when you're yoked to an unbeliever, they're pulling you into a direction away from Christ. That is, they're pulling in the natural way that all humanity pulls when they do not yet know Christ. That's just if they're not bad people, they just don't know the truth. And so they will pull you. So don't be tied to them because you cannot experience that kind of peace with someone who doesn't know Christ. It's also, coincidentally, why Scripture says Christians ought not sue each other. Have you ever wondered, why is that in there? I mean, there's so many other more important things to talk about. And I believe it is this very issue. Because when we are at peace with others, there's no need to withhold what is due. If we have wronged someone else, we should be at peace with them through God so that we don't need a third party to force us to make amends nor should we try to take from others that which we don't have claim to. There should be no lawsuits between Christians. We should be, because of our common peace with God, come to an agreement about all of our conflicts. And you will have conflicts with Christians. It happens in churches all the time, if you haven't noticed. It happens all the time. It happens between churches all the time. It's really amazing that we miss this component But what also happens when we have peace with God through Christ, we also view our lives with less fear. Let me me read, I'm going to just read these real quickly and I'm going to close this morning. But let me just, four passages of what's going to happen when you know Christ and you experience this kind of peace. Just listen to what these are. And if you need to grab onto one of these because this is where you're living, then grab on. 2 Corinthians 6.10, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. That's what it means to have peace. Philippians 4.12, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance 
and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That is what happens when we experience peace. Acts 4.29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats, those who are threatening believers. Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. When I'm in the midst of tribulation, I continue to share the goodness of God. I have peace to do that. Much of what Stacy shared, her time in China, what's going on in different parts where missionaries cannot even tell you where they are because of the consequences they would experience. They have decided that this kind of peace is worth putting my life on the line. This is the kind of faith that makes the movement of God explode. And it's one of the reasons that we struggle to see those explosions of the move of God in our own nation, because we don't experience that kind of a commitment to being at peace with God. Um, I have to go to church, or I might have to serve or give something to the church, or... You know, I don't know, but and I'm not trying to, to belittle or say that's anyone's purpose in this room. That is the purpose of many Americans because we haven't had to lay our lives on the line to be at peace with God and to say, you know what? Take my life. As Paul said, it's better for me to be with him anyways. That peace changes us. And I'm not saying that you just have to commit to saying that. I'm saying you're willing to because you've experienced this peace. 2 Corinthians 1 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, which means you will have affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so that through Christ we may share abundantly in comfort too. This is what I want to leave you with this morning. We all come looking for something different when we come before God. Here's what I hope for you is that you would experience His peace as you seek His face and follow His instructions. It is in that that you will experience the overwhelming feeling of peace once you are at peace with God. So let us celebrate. Let us worship. And let us acknowledge that I am no longer at war with Him. He is at work in me. And I can experience that peace even when there is so much turmoil around me. That's what we come to worship. That's what we come to celebrate in Advent. That's what we come to see what God was planning to do through this whole process. This was just the beginning of the story. It's not the end. And my prayer is that we would together be able to experience that. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for the incredible gift of peace through Jesus Christ. I know that we have not in any way been able to experience this on our own. Father, nor have we been able to truly sacrifice the priorities of this life without the work of your Spirit in us. Father, I pray that as we sing this last song, it would be a song of worship and thanksgiving to you. That on that day, so many years ago, you sent your Son. He came as a Redeemer. He came as our Prince of Peace. I thank you that 
while you could have eradicated us, we had no chance in this war with you, that you chose to rescue us anyways. I pray for those in this room, and they are living a life without any real peace at all, that they are desperate to find it. They've tried every way they can to live with some semblance of peace within themselves. Father, I pray that they would experience that today by submitting to you, to recognizing that it is only through Jesus that we can be saved and we can only be right with you through his blood. Father, I pray for those in this room who are going through turmoil at work and yet they are experiencing the kind of peace that we talk about. I would just pray that you would give them courage. You would give them hope and you would remind them that this peace that they're feeling deep down within while everyone else is falling apart around them, you would remind them this is a gift from Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Let us experience that and let us leave this place and take this peace with us. Let us share it with those around us so that they can experience it as well. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.